Welcome to Change Creator Magazine, the first magazine app on iTunes and Google Play for the purpose-driven entrepreneur. Learn more at changecreator.com. Issue 13, article, Aligning Entrepreneur and Investor Incentives, What Happens if Startup Growth Plateaus? By Michael Looney Libis. To start with, always remember to put yourselves in the other person's shoes when raising money. Investors invest to make a positive return on their investment. This is true even in the world of impact investing, where mission may come first and where financial return may be traded off, but that financial return is always present and important. How does this return come about in traditional equity investing? From the exit, the all-important exit, which 99.9% of the time now is an acquisition, not profits, growth. Simply put, a company with growing revenues has a value. A company with growing revenues and good margins has a higher value. A company with growing revenues, good margins, and profits, an even higher value. Take away the growing revenues and the company may be worth less than the cash it has on hand. Does this seem ludicrous? See Yahoo, a public company with billions in revenues and margins and profits, but with its business valued at less than zero. Being private doesn't change this rule of valuation. It just hides it from the public. Back to equity investors. If they need an exit, and if that exit is based on growth, then their incentive is to see your startup grow as quickly as possible, as more growth equals more value. All that's great as long as you are growing, but with rare exception, startup growth isn't steadily upward. It's bumpy. Sometimes it plateaus while dealing with the growth of the staff, or as it crosses the chasm, or when it loses its first early customers, etc. Those investors at their first sign that growth is slowing have an incentive to sell the company. I'll repeat this as it's key. If the company looks like the growth is slowing, your investors no longer have an incentive to help you make a successful company, but instead start looking for an acquirer to buy your company before anyone notices that the growth has plateaued. A few rare, experienced venture capitalists may want to ride out the bumpiness with you, but I've only heard a handful of such stories in my 20-plus years of startups. Looking back at revenue-based investing, the incentives are completely different. Those investors have made a bet on gross revenues. Revenue growth for them is good, but not imperative. Start to plateau, those investors' incentives don't change. They don't worry about 100% loss of their investment as a zombie, a state where they are worth somewhere between nothing and a one-time return. They can instead either live with what might be a slower rate of repayment and thus a lower rate of return, or they can step up to help the entrepreneur grow revenues. Reread that last paragraph as it's not the norm for startup investors. Revenue-based investors have just one incentive— to see the company earn revenues. More is better, but some is still fine. Depending on the terms of the investment, an acquisition might juice the rate of return, but it's not required in order to have a return. This is a big deal for entrepreneurs. 
Revenue-based investment structures provide a lower cost of capital and a set of investors who have their incentives aligned with the entrepreneurs. What entrepreneur wouldn't want that? The only real flow is that revenue-based investments are not the norm. Of the tens of thousands of startup investments made each year, only a few dozen take that form, and most in the seed stage for my accelerator fledge and in growth capital stage from companies like Lighter Capital. No doubt more to come as this win-win structure shows more proof of success. And your ultimate goal is critical to helping you prioritize your impact metrics. By tracing each of the steps that needs to happen in order to achieve a goal, you can easily trace whether you're making progress toward your vision. While the idea that organizations should develop a theory of change has been widely embraced in recent years, few do it well. My research shows that to assure the process is as fruitful as it can be, organizations must set aside the time to hold a workshop, ideally off-site, and bring a dedicated focus to the theory of change development. The key elements of a theory of change workshop are to engage outside stakeholders to get ideas and buy-in, include your board and staff in the process, bring in an outside facilitator, ask the question, how will you know if you're successful? And work backwards to trace what needs to happen to get there and track your results rigorously. Tip number three, distill your data into bite-sized chunks. Once you have a theory of change and are tracking good data, you have to be able to tell a data story. The only way that you can do this is by distilling it down to something that your audience can consume in just a few seconds. Even some of the largest organizations with multi-million dollar data analysis departments distill their data down to just a few points. For example, Room to Read, a global literacy organization, talks about how many books they've distributed or how many libraries they've built. Similarly, New Teacher Center, a mentoring program for new teachers, distills their data down to how much their programs increase teacher retention. Think of the three to five things that matter to your organization's vision and focus on them relentlessly. In summary, the organizations that have data to show that their work is having impact are more likely to impress donors and more likely to have effective programs because they can tweak what's not working and double down on what is working. What's key to good data collection is just getting started. Once you do, you too will be on the path to impact.